welcome. Glad to have you with us. Dale Roberts is on board this morning. MoGunLaw.com, as is Garson from Graphs, and he's brought in a couple of beauties. Let's uh, do show and tell. Garson, what do you want to go with first? Well, so I wanted to do a one-to-one comparison of the Keltec PMR-30 and the new Smith & Wesson M&P 22 Magnum, but we sold the PMR-30 before I came to the show. <laughs> <laughs> and so, just for the... So For those of us who don't know, the PMR-30 is what caliber? 22 Magnum. Okay. So it, it's the M&P is basically a clone or a copy or a tribute to the PMR-30. The PMR-30 has been out for over a decade now, and it's it's been a super popular pistol. Um, so I did not have a PMR-30 to bring, but we did have uh Kel-Tec CP-33, which is the same basic pistol frame. In a 22 long rifle, um, but in a much, uh, much longer gun with a with a few more features. So they they changed the caliber to 22, uh, added a threaded barrel to it, and then it's got this nice Picatinny rail on the top uh, for optics. And so the Keltecs both come with um, fiber optic sights. Um, so the bad thing about the Keltecs is they're all magazine, uh, all heel release magazines. So instead of having the magazine release button under the trigger guard. There's a button at the back of the grip, which you have to depress and and strip the magazine out of the grip that way. So a lot of people don't like that feature, but I think for a gun that has 30 or 33 rounds, you can you can afford to lose a little time on your mag change without it being a huge detriment. Um, it's really a cool looking gun. Yeah, uh, and so Keltec calls the uh, CP33 a competition pistol. Um, its trigger is very similar to. Almost identical to the PMR-30s. Um, it's pretty short, extremely light, um, and these are all rimfire guns. But um, the 22 mag, you know, pushes over 2,000 feet per second, even out of short pistols like this. So high velocity equals, you know, pretty decent ballistics at, you know, close distances and still, you know, out to 100 yards or so. And it's it's a very accurate cartridge yeah, there's tons of tons of little squirrel guns and rifles and stuff made in it. Um, it it takes a lot of game still, and I think these are you know very useful pistols, especially for people that um, are recoil sensitive. The grips, because of the length of the cartridge, of course, are a little large, but they've done a good job of making them very slim, in spite of still being able to hold 30 plus rounds. So, the CP33 weighs in at. Uh, 1.5 pounds. The PMR30, which I don't have, is only 14 ounces. So it's under a pound. Wow. Yeah. So that is pretty impressive. The Smith comes in a little heavier. Um, it is 22 ounces, so almost a pound and a half. Um, it also has uh, a fiber optic front sight. Uh, it is also a 30-round magazine, but like I said, it does have a regular mag magazine release. Um, their grip texture is a bit more aggressive than the Keltex. Um, it's quite nice. Um, they're this has a manual safety as well. It's a little harder to operate, but it is fully ambidextrous. So you got a safety on both sides and a slide release on both sides. Um, they both, all of them have, um, uh, or I'm sorry, the PMR30 and the, and the M&P 22 mag have a, a accessory rail on the dust cover. The, uh, CP33 does not. But the uh, M&P adds an optics mount. So the slide is already cut for an optic, and there's a plate here 
uh, two screws hold that down. You remove that, and you can install um, a red dot optic on that. Uh, Keltec does make an adapter to allow you to add an optic to the PMR30, but it's not as streamlined as the one on the M&P. But I would expect Keltec to probably make this a feature in the future since this is the trend that everyone is going to with handguns. Um, the trigger on the M&P is not quite as clean, but about as light, about the same weight. I'd say three and a half pounds or so, but it's, it's a little bit spongier, but still not horrible. Uh, but compared to the, the PMR-30 and the CP-33, it, it's got a bit of a roll to it compared to them. A um, little long on the barrel, but that keeps your velocities up. I, and, the, you know, the 22 mag cartridge, I think, is a very viable self-defense round. So if you're looking for something that's not going to recoil a lot and gives you large capacity without having to do a mag change, I, I think those are very good guns to consider. If you were going to buy one of these guns today, the Smith & Wesson or the kel which one would you pick? So I've had a kel for, oh, seven, eight years now, and I like it a lot. Um, the only thing that I think the Smith does better is their grip, and the mag release is easier for most people to transition to. Um, I've, I've had a number of European firearms with heel releases, so that doesn't bother me as much. But I, I do like the grip texture on the M&P a little bit, but I don't know if I like it enough to warrant me getting another 22 mag pistol or or forcing me to sell the Keltec and and replace it with this. I don't know if I'm that in need of um, this grip texture. <laughs> I, I may have missed it, but what's the difference in price between the two? Um, so we've got the Smith for 625. Uh, the Keltec is going to be cheaper. Uh, let me see what they're... Because I know that... So, yeah, MSRP on the Keltec is 495 Ooh. Yeah, and I want to say the one we had, we had for about $400. Um, the CP33 we have for 540 and that normally, the full MSRP on that is 495 as well. Oh, huh, Kel- well, that's weird. Keltec mm, is a... We must have that price wrong. <laughs> I'll have to check into that. Keltec is a, a kind of a quirky little company. I yeah, uh, they started making um, little thirty-two and three-eighty carry pistols twenty-something um, years ago, and they were about the smallest pistol you could buy under five hundred dollars at the time. You know, there was C camps and NAAs at the time, but those were pretty expensive because they were all steel and very nicely made. And Keltec's like, no, we'll just make you know a cheap carry gun that you know. If it if it gets lost or stolen or whatever, you're you're not out much. Or if you end up having to use it in a self defense situation, you can replace it instead of waiting for you know it to come out of an evidence locker after everything's said and done. Um, I mean, those things were two hundred twenty bucks when they first came out, um, and I I don't think they've crested three hundred twenty bucks in the last twenty years. So yeah. they've they've held their price very well. Yeah, my wife and I both have. Uh, those little Keltecs that uh, that are great for pocket carry, and they're easy enough to shoot. You know, with the size of my hand, I would I prefer something just a titch larger. But boy, if you want to conceal carry and you're wearing a suit, you pardon me, madam, you can't go wrong with uh, with those little Keltecs. Yeah, well, and, and they've uh, been copied by everybody now. Um, yeah, but when they first came out, uh, I was working at Target Masters. And I'd buy one, put a belt clip on it, carry it, 
And then a cop would come looking for one and be like, yeah, we can't get any. Uh, I got one, I'll sell you. And I, I think I sold one off my hip like two or three times because they were just so hard to get. <laughs> wow. That's actually where we got our Caltex. Uh, was uh, from over there at, uh, at Target Masters at the time. And uh, they're just a great little uh, pocket carry. And then they've expanded their line. And it's it's kind of, I don't know, unique the way they do it. Uh, but we now have uh, a folding 9 millimeter. That we got, uh, that Gwen got, and it's it's kind of neat. They they yeah, make the, the sub two thousand. I have yeah. one of those. It's 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 an awesome little gun, and the fact that they were willing to use another company's magazines as their primary magazine, I think, is a real benefit for everybody because now you're not stuck buying another proprietary magazine for a companion rifle to your your handgun or carry gun. And uh, they've kind of blazed a path in areas that you know. The small guns you were talking about, the folding rifle, which Smith & Wesson, I dare say, copied about a year ago when Smith & Wesson came out with their folding. Yeah, I, I think Smith & Wesson is Caltech's biggest fan based on what <laughs> Smith & Wesson has been releasing lately. <laughs> but, That's you know, way to put it. Caltech's utilitarian, useful, usable products. And, yeah, some of their stuff is quirky. Um, like the, the R50 that they got coming out any day now is um a rifle version of their p90 magazine fed pistol which i'm Ooh. interested in in getting my hands on as well yeah um, because i am a big fan of the 5.7 cartridge um so a rifle version of that rs50 um is is probably going to be pretty unique so you, is, sorry go, no go ahead are go ahead. they talking about then a, a rifle version of the with the five seven caliber, yeah, with so that it, magazine, yeah, it runs on the P, it runs on the P ninety magazine, yeah, fifty round, yeah, fifty round mag, uh, but this has got a sixteen inch barrel, a threaded sixteen inch barrel, because um, I, because to thread the barrel on my P ninety is going to require a new barrel and a bunch of custom made parts, I think, because um, I've looked into it uh, without without short barreling it and turning sure. it into and using a, and using a P ninety barrel versus the PS ninety barrel, um, so. I don't really want to have two tax stamps for something I'm just going to take to the range and play with. Um, so this this is probably going to be something I'm going to be seriously looking at um, so I can run suppressed 5.7. Garson, did you, uh, have you purchased uh, the Smith & Wesson 5.7? Uh, I have not. Get your hands on one. What a, what a fabulous firearm that is. If you like the 5.7 and you want a suppressor. Sounds like Gwen has one. <laughs> I have one too. We yeah, both and, have one. So I've, yeah. I've got a five seven pistol from FN, um, and yeah, it's not threaded, and threaded barrels for it are available from like one company. So I just haven't gone down that road. Well, the Smith and Wesson comes with a threaded barrel. Uh, it's a beautiful trigger. Uh, I'm real sensitive about long staging, and that trigger is just right out of the box. It's impressive. If you get your hands on, in fact, maybe the next time we're together, uh, if you haven't, I'll bring mine and you can, we can go out to uh, Green Valley uh, Green Valley, and uh, let you plink with it because it, it's neat. Uh, did Dale, have you got one? Have you shot one? Uh, I do not have a 5.7. I used to um, when the police No, off I mean the, the Smith & Wesson. Do you, have you fired it yet? The Smith & Wesson 5.7? Yeah. No, no, I have not. Oh, guys, i got to bring it in. You've got to shoot this. I'll bring extra ammo. 
Will they let us shoot in the building here? <laughs> well, it depends on who you're aiming at. I guess here in the studio, yeah. They'd, who would know? Yeah, it's, you know, a matter of personal choice. Yeah. All right. We're up against the clock. we got to take a quick break. It is Gary on guns. Yeah, and I'm joined by Garson from Graffs in Mexico, Missouri, and Dale Roberts, MoGunLaw.com. Before show and tell, we were talking about the uh, rules that uh, the Biden administration are are pushing the zero tolerance laws and uh, and expanding uh, the federal gun uh, the the NICS check. Uh, the NRA says uh, that uh, Biden's ATF is proposing to radically rewrite federal law yet again to broaden the requirement for persons who occasionally sell or transfer firearms. To register federal firearms licenses uh, with all the bureaucracy expense and oversight that uh, that that entails, but I I seriously question whether or not the federal government it, it can actually provide all those. Li- I mean, everybody that that uh, uh, we've all done this. We've sold a firearm here and again, or maybe decided we want to get rid of whatever we've got in stock uh, at our house and. Uh, try an update or upgrade. if you had to get an FFL license for some of those transactions the government would be kind of like up to its neck wouldn't it in in investigations and that does, case, yeah yeah and they already can't keep up with their uh, their form 4 and and NFA transfer paperwork so I don't see how they'd manage every gun owning American that sells a gun but I'm not sure now that you mention it, Gary, I'm not sure they want to because that would force me, I'll say me, you know, that forces me in a position. They tell me, Dale, you've sold a couple of guns that you didn't want anymore. You're, you must get a license. And if you, starting today, if you sell a firearm before you get your license approved, that's a violation and we're going to come get you. But they're thinking to themselves, but we're not going to approve your license, or at least not for a couple of years. So all of a sudden, I can't, you know, if I have guns I want to be rid of or I need to pay the rent or whatever, they've put me in a position where I can't sell a gun without a license, and they won't give me a license. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, now what do you do with it? Yeah, I guess you have to turn it into them. <laughs> yeah, sure yeah. I will. So they can melt it down. No. And of course, if, and I, if I do get the license, that's I'm one more person who's required to keep records and provide them with more data on who has a gun. You know, if I have a gun I don't want anymore, I want to sell it to my brother and just go, yeah, brother, give me 500 bucks, whatever. They want a record of that, and it adds to their data of who's got guns and what's going on out there. That seems an awful lot like firearms registration to me because they've got to know the serial numbers yep. and all of that information absolutely they just never stop do they funny how that works and it's another well, you know so the ATF doesn't know the serial number or what you bought all they know is that you've done the paperwork to take possession of a firearm but the the i mean they can come see the 44 they, they can yeah. yeah and i know i know in some of these uh atf uh um, inspections of these FFLs they've been shutting down. They've been illegally photographing 4473s um, with their phones. And that's a big no-no. But, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, yeah, they don't have the serial numbers unless there's an inspection or an issue. 
But this is why every time I talk to a politician, and we were talking about this over the break, we need to get Missouri to make our concealed carry permits an exemption to the next check. So we don't have to go through a next check. There's already a function on the form that says there's a qualifying state program that exempts you from the next check. And all the dealer has to do is check a box and prove that you have the qualifying license and you're off to the races. And, and you're eight, and you're, the fact that you have a concealed <coughs> carry permit means that you don't need to do go through the next check. Right. You'd fill out the form like normal. You present your concealed carry form or permit, license card, whatever you got. The transferring dealer would record that. Yes, you have an exemption. We don't have to call the next check in. So they do the paperwork, put the gun information down, sign it, date it. Everything's written down on the form, and you go out the door. No, no calling the ATF or no calling next or having to transfer, do the electronic transfer to to do your background check because the the. The issuing sheriff's department has already done the background check on you, and they're required to revoke your permit the second you get in trouble anyway. So as long as you have that permit, you should meet all the standards to have to be able to take possession of a firearm. I know that uh, some states do do that already. And they've been doing it for a long time. Yeah. There were states that had an exemption to next before we got our license, and Tim Oliver was hopeful that that would have been part of the original law, but it did not make it into it. And the interesting thing is, there's it's like an Easter egg. I, I don't have it handy, but there's, there's a, a little line that infers. Yep, yep. in to Chapter it. 571 on weapons, on the concealed carry statutes, there's a section that refers to whether or not you can use your concealed carry permit in lieu of the background of the, you know, going through NICS. And that might have. It that might have just been overlooked when they were removing other parts of that. Well, it's, uh, you know, it's, again, I, I look at that and think, so when that statute was passed, somebody planted the seed to saying, okay, we'll get this far next year or the year after we'll go back, and but they never did well, go back. Well, I think one of the original drafts actually had that in there, but I think it got removed to get it passed. Gotcha. Kind of a shame, all the compromises you have to make to get to where you need to go. But... It, it, well, and I was going to say, you know, speaking of compromises, and this isn't necessarily gun-related, but I just have to say with the uh, fight over, you know, the looming government shutdown and the budget going on, I've just read a headline that says House Democrats threaten to keep government open. <laughs> <laughs> so in Babylon, Babylon B, if you want to see that. So. Except at the ATF. Yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. Where, where they won't do any next checks. All right, um... We talked about uh, what was going on in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Let's talk about what's going on in St. Louis, Missouri. An alderman there yesterday introduced a series of bills aimed, they say, at curbing gun violence in the city. The legislation uh, was announced by the mayor last month. It would piggyback on existing federal laws on, quote, military-grade weapons. Is the AK... Uh, is the AR-15 a military-grade weapon? I mean, from what I know of people well, in the military, they say they don't want military-grade weapons. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on. We'll be back to kick this around on Gary on Gun. Garson is in from Graffs and Dale Roberts, MoGunLaw.com. Looking at gun laws at the federal and state levels, at talking about firearms, and boy, we've just got a lot more ground to cover, including some information out of St. Louis. They are looking at passing legislation that they say will help curb gun violence in the city. 
I don't buy it. But they're talking about military-style weapons. And the question is, is an AR-15 a military-style weapon? I'm going to give you uh, what many of you are probably not going to want to hear. Uh, but my opinion is, it is. It is a military-style weapon. And the wonderful thing about the law is, if you get to write the definition section of a statute, then it doesn't matter what the statute says. I mean... You can define something to be, you know, whatever you say it is. Yeah. So, so by that claim, though, a Remington 700 is a military-style weapon. You bet it is. A handgun is a military. I mean, yeah. You know, it's whatever they say it is. Anything that holds more than seven rounds, they well, might define as a, a military. 700 doesn't hold more than seven rounds. But, but I'm just saying, like for handguns. But it's if it's kind of like beauty. It's in the eye of the beholder, and yep. if they want to call it that, but any weapon. Is a military style weapon? Uh, didn't uh, didn't they have bayonets on the end of rifles? Would a knife be a military style weapon? Well, sure it would. Somebody in the military trying to protect themselves might use a knife to do it. I don't think it's a bad thing, but they're trying to define it as a bad thing. Military well, as a prohibited style thing. Well, that's their way of prohibiting it by calling it a military style weapon and painting that as war on the streets conjuring an image for people who are listening and not familiar of citizens taking out their AR-15s and AK-47s and shooting up neighborhoods and literally making it look like a, a war zone. But it's not. And it doesn't matter. But that's what they're trying to do. And yeah, I, I would say that the, the uh, AR-15... Just, uh, it is a weapon to be used at war. Well, and here we go getting trapped in their verbiage again because it shouldn't matter what the firearm is, whether whether you want to call it a weapon or a firearm or whatever, because the NRA is all about, oh, don't call it a weapon, it's a firearm. You know, this battle of semantics seems to be the battle we're always losing because we get trapped up in trying to defeat their illogical argument instead of just saying, it doesn't matter if it is a weapon of war or a military firearm, we have a full and legal right to have that, period. Yeah, so military grade is really what we're arguing about or discussing. Well, and we, we, and we shouldn't be. We should just, no, it doesn't matter what you want to call it. We have a legal right to have that firearm, period. And they're arguing you don't. And they're trying to conjure this image. Yeah, I get that, but we're arguing the wrong thing. We're trying to say, well, what is a military firearm? It, we, shouldn't have to, we shouldn't have to make that argument. We should just say, all right, yeah, you want to call it a military firearm? Fine. We're still allowed to have it. I think that's what but, I'm saying when I say, yeah, it is. But they're going to ban care. it, and you yeah. won't have the right to have it. But, I mean, we started this conversation out by trying to define what a military firearm is. So we... we well, I think we decided that any weapon... Right. Anything. But, I mean, th that shouldn't have been the argument off the get-go, though. We should have said, that doesn't matter. We should still have it. I, I think it's semantics. Yeah, uh, and the pro Well, that's the, what I'm saying. We lose the semantics battle all the time. Go because ahead, we fight... We fight over definitions of things when it shouldn't matter what the definition... But we didn't fight over it. That's my point. Dale, yeah. what were you going to say? Well, and that's what I was going to say is we're not framing the argument they are. And what they're doing is proposing an initiative petition. Actually, I think three variations of an initiative petition for, voter, for voters so that they can put on the ballot in Missouri a change to the, to the Missouri Constitution that would allow municipalities, cities, and towns to make their own gun laws. And that would completely override everything that's in the Missouri statutes on concealed carry. 
and that would give St. Louis and Kansas City and all these other municipalities rights to completely restrict firearm ownership. And it scares the heck out of me because the tail wags the dog. Voters in Kansas City and St. Louis and sometimes in Columbia can vote to override the wishes of the other 111 counties. And if they get that on the ballot, we've got some work to do. Yeah, MoFirst.org, uh, Ron Calzone, has a great piece on how to fix this so that those areas in, in uh, that are outside of Kansas City and St. Louis have a fair say-so in what gets amended as far as the Constitution is concerned. So, you know, if you're listening to us in Missouri, and I'm guessing you are, then... This is something you might want to uh, get involved in. You want to, the governor and the legislature need to change this and fix it because we so often are overwhelmed by the two big cities on either end of the state. Kind of makes it their state instead of our state or everybody's state. Officials say the new rules will be useful because they're going to offer the city police some flexibility in how they handle offenders. For instance, Juveniles caught with automatic weapons. <laughs> what, what now? Why are you chuckling, Dale? Yeah, what's a, what's automatic. A f- I wonder if they know what they're talking about, but they don't. No, they they don't. Anyway, <laughs> they I'm sorry, I, I interrupted you, Gary. Uh, rather than potential jail time on state or federal charges, they would face fines and community service. Uh, there's a little problem with that, isn't there? That local police would find somebody with a fully automatic weapon, whether they're a juvenile or not, and somehow they would just get fines and community service? So by juvenile, they just mean like the son of a Biden, right? <laughs> isn't that kind of like swearing? I, I, I may remember that. Garson may have coined another phrase. See, you stub your toe and you go, son of a Biden. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he already came up with dumber than stupid. Indeed. Yep. Uh, Some of the money generated by the fines would go toward the city's efforts to prevent violence through counseling, community engagement, and job programs. Second bill expands the new rules for all weapons related ordinance violations. A third from another alderwoman bars the possession of guns without traceable serial numbers. That whole serial number thing really is starting to to get on my nerves. I can use a software program to create a firearm, and it shouldn't be any of the government's business. They're not entitled to know this information, Dale. Again, right. And again, I mean, there are federal courts already who have said that requirement is unconstitutional. Um, but that. Well, uh, and it's never been a requirement for privately made firearms. It, right. And that's, the, I mean, isn't that part of the, one of the changes ATF has been pushing? Yes. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, because the skill level required to make a privately made firearm went from a high level of skill with a large expensive number of pieces of equipment to very inexpensive equipment and almost no skill or knowledge to assemble 
parts to do that. The, so in the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, I don't know, maybe within the last week, uh, a case was argued on the frame receiver rule. Um, I think the ATF is going to lose it, but the oral, ar- I know this sounds nerdy, but the oral argument, um, I posted a link to it on Mogan Law Facebook page. I haven't got it on my other page yet. You can listen to the oral argument in front of the court. It's maybe five or ten minutes long. And the ATF, the Department of Justice lawyer, was on the ropes. And the judge kept saying, you know, first you said this and then you said that. And the poor attorney, of course, what are you going to do? He he couldn't defend what the ATF and the Department of Justice has done. Uh, it's it's an interesting listen for those who are, you know, interested in that that level of information. So I, do I find that Dale Roberts at Facebook or MoGunLaw uh, dot MoGunLaw on Facebook. Mo Gun Law on Facebook. All right, and I haven't got it to my web page, but it's already up on the Facebook page. It's just a link to the audio, maybe five minute audio from the Fifth Circuit. I don't want to embarrass Garson, but I, I think I, I think Dale, you and I really have to go after him. Uh, those ads that appeal to juveniles <sighs> that are so prevalent in the world of firearms. <laughs> We'll talk about that next on Gary on Guns. And Garson from Graphs as well as Dale from OakGunLaw.com. Apparently, California had a law or has a law that would ban gun ads aimed at children. I wonder what those sound like. Hey, second graders. (laughs) Want to blow away the neighborhood? Garson? I, I guess we'll have to figure out what the tobacco industry used to do to advertise to minors? I don't know. Oh, if you've got Joe Camel carrying a gun, a gun, you are in trouble plenty, pal. I've never seen <laughs> I've never seen an ad. I do this show every week. I get all kinds of information from firearms manufacturers in my email every day. I have never seen an ad for a firearm aimed at children. Do they, Garson, you you do this for a living? Got any ads that literally are aimed at kids? Well, I mean, if we could force kids to work again so they'd have money to buy guns, I guess I would start <laughs> advertising to them. Oh, the child labor laws. So we got to get rid of the child labor laws so the children can get jobs so they can buy guns. and then And then, since they have money, I would start advertising to them. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. They have the kids' meals at McDonald's, even though kids aren't working. It's so they can tug on mom's uh, 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 shirt sleeve and say, Mom, I want to I wanna go to McDonald's for breakfast or lunch. Maybe that's what the gun menu... You found some, Brian? Oh, good. I good. did. I found some. Let me play this for you. What are the woodpecker? Kind of. A lot of visuals on the screen here, but uh, this isn't helping listeners. Some fun when Snubby Gun plays Private Eye, and you can have the same kind of fun with Mattel's Tommy Burst Detective Set. The Tommy Burst has automatic bolt action. Fire off a burst of ten shots. <laughs> Pull the bolt again, you're reloaded. Or fire single shots like a rifle. But Tommy Burst alone is $3. In the Detective Set, you also get the Snub Nose 38. And snap draw shoulder holster. 
The pistol fires greeny stick'em caps and shoots safe shooting shells. The exciting new Tommy Burst detective set includes wallet, badge, and ID card. $7 wherever toys are sold. You can tell it's Mattel. It's swell. I don't think that... That doesn't really? qualify? I don't think so. Huh. I don't think so. Garson, have you seen any ads? Literally, have you ever seen ads that are geared toward kids buying guns? For an actual firearm? No, yeah. I have not. So what the hell are they thinking in California, Dale? Well, why why wait until there's a problem? Well, they weren't they were also <laughs> So it, they're not only wanting this to not advertise to uh people under 18, they don't want us to provide any any information to them either. So that's why now when you go to a lot of websites that have gun information on them, they have an age verification pop-up before you can enter the site. And, and of course, you can't defeat those by putting in a yeah, fake it's birthday. Worked, it's worked so well for the porn industry. It has it. So, but you know, one of the things that used to drive my coworkers crazy, many Besides things, you. <laughs> me, well, me specifically, when I worked for the state. Tweet, tweet, tweet. And, and we'd have, you know, division director meetings and... They'd start on something, and I would ask, what problem are we trying to solve? And they don't like, they never liked it when I asked that question. And that's the question here. I mean, what problem is California trying to solve? Because it gets to what you said, Gary. Are, are there, you know, 10-year-olds who are, are there ads out there for children? And are children responding to those by saying, can I take my allowance and buy an AR? I mean, it's not happening. And the, the great thing is, that, you know, the uh, court, a federal court this last week, I think on Wednesday, that blocked the California law in the court's opinion said, you know, there's no evidence in the record that a minor in California has ever unlawfully bought a gun, let alone because of the ad. I mean, the court was asking, what problem are you trying to solve? You know, kids can't buy guns. So how, you know, what are you doing? Is it ethical for a gun magazine to... And, and you know what? We'd be guilty of this ourselves if this is illegal. Because uh, we used to uh, promote this uh, uh, this Youth event. Shooting? Yeah. Yeah. Youth shooting where you'd bring your kid to the uh, shooting range and we would provide everything. You 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 didn't even have to bring a rifle. Yeah. And I think Scout, that's coming Scout up again. camp would have been a lot less fun without rifles. That- I think that's coming up again next month. But you're right. Youth youth shooting events where safety is taught, hunter education where safety is taught, all of those things would be in trouble uh, if California got their way. Yeah, I, I think that the best thing you can do when it comes to, to children is to teach them all you can, pass along all the knowledge you can about firearms so that they know to respect them and what they can do. Yeah. Well, did you see the story out of Phoenix? Do tell. A 13-year-old boy in Phoenix saw his mother freeze as a meth-addled attacker invaded their home. Fearing for the safety of his mother and his four siblings, he took the gun from his mother's hands and shot the intruder. Yeah. Well, how? So, you know, all right, yeah, some kids have done some bad things with with guns. Not in that case. This this is a you know a proper use of a firearm by a minor. Um, I, I remember another story where there was a, a girl who was on her high school um, uh, shotgun team, sporting clays team, 
and she was home alone. The house got invaded. She used her shotgun to defend herself against two attackers. Um, so, you know, this defensive stuff by minors happens fairly frequently, um, and it never gets reported, or it never gets, you know, the national attention that the bad things get. Yeah. So, but, you know, everyone thinks that it's just bad things going on out there, and it's not. They paint this image, you know, they, they, they make you conjure this image with the way, and, and this goes back to, Carson, what you were saying in, in the last segment about how we're always arguing on their terms. But when they talk about uh, guns in school for, you know, professors, teachers, uh, and, and uh, other staff, they make it sound like people are going to be shooting around the kids. You guns of kids. Uh, they talk about military-style weapons. And yeah. They all, all of these things conjure up the image they, conjure, they want you to conjure up. Well, and it reminds me of this Simpsons episode where Homer buys a revolver. And he starts using it for everything. Um, he's like, shoot into the light to turn the light off. Shoot into the TV to change the channel on the TV. And Marge gets so fed up with it, she takes the kids and leaves. And finally something happens to where he sees the error of his ways and gives up the revolver to get his family back. Funny how that would, how, how uh, Hollywood, and, and yeah. you know. But, you know, programs. I, I, I can't, I can't tell you how many times I've been laying in bed and I'm like, man, I wish I could just shoot my light out so I could go to sleep. Yeah. But, but it, you know, it makes me remember 20 years ago when Missouri first considered concealed carry, legalizing concealed carry for citizens. And the opponents were saying, oh, my God, there will be gunfights at four-way stop signs. Oh, there yeah. will be gunfights in the grocery store, dogs yeah. and cats living together. We'll, we'll drowning in rivers of blood. Yeah, yeah. And, oh, wait, none of that ever happened. Well, and you got to remember the commercials back then, too. They showed a... A, a car in a dark parking lot with an open trunk full of machine guns. I'm like, that's not what people are concealed carrying. You know, the, you're, they had the most evil-looking commercials to convince the stupidest of us to not be for concealed carry. It's, it, again, it's just, it's crazy-making, the lack of logic. Before I run out of time, very quickly, the two firearms you brought in, uh, Caltech CP33 and the new Smith and Wesson MP22 Magnum. Head over to Mexico, Missouri, and Graphs and get your hands on it, guys. Thank it's you. It's raining. You got nothing else to do. Whatever, whatever it is in life you want, go out and get it. Don't wait for the government to drop it in your lap. You make it happen. Seize the day, Carpe Diem, Gwen, baby, honey. I'm coming home.